I'm just loving the, now this is not disparaging towards Americans, because I know there's a couple here, but I just love, actually, and they're all sitting together over there, like, so this is not a negative towards my American brothers who um, have always ripped off us Canadians over the years. No, that's not even true. Why do I say stuff like that? But I'm just loving Josiah's kind of Kiwi laid back introduction. And uh, so I can't come up here and go, hey, how's it going, guys? I've just got to kind of come in with this low key sort of approach. I see John Douglas sort of waving over there. But then I can kind of wind it up and I can start going, hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, gee, it went over like a lead balloon, didn't it? <laughs> um, I found this, I'm LB, and uh, if, if, um, um, if I'm just meeting you for the first time here, I work with the youth group here. And um, yeah, it's awesome. You know how you're supposed to say it's a real privilege to work in this church, um, and uh, whether it's true or not. But I'm going to say it, and it's absolutely true. This is a really cool church. It's a cool church to work in. Um, there's a great staff here. There's a great culture, great values. God's doing some neat stuff in this church. So I'm glad you're here. And if you're just kind of visiting, I hope that you stick around uh, and that you will make this place your home. So, um, so anyways, here we go. So we're talking about this, the scandal of God tonight. Um, and I was going to do this word association thing, and I found this really cool website and I was going to write the name down um, this week, and I, I, I forgot. I was going to have it for you. Um, and it's this word association kind of a website, and it's called something like Word Bubble or something. And there's like over 10 million people who have jumped onto this site. And I, I just wanted to find, I just wanted to do a little word association, association game with you just to get into this talk. This site is amazing. So um, Darren's looking it up, I think. Oh, no, he's looking up the All Black scores. That's all right. Um, or he's playing Space Invaders. But, um, um, and, it's, and, and what you do is you just, it, it just gives you words. So you just, it, it, you know, so you get onto the site, and it gives you words. And then you just have to say the first word that comes into your mind. And then, and then you just, and you type it in. And then it tells you how many people got the same word as you. And then you can kind of go to this bubble and, it, and all the other words that came from that word. And it's really fascinating. There's like millions of people on it. And I'm sure it's just going to take off. It's just really interesting, um, you know, what words you think of when, when I say a word. So we're going to play the game right now. This is from the site. Uh, and if you're really interested, come and tackle me afterwards. Um, and I shall, uh, I'll have the name of the site for you. But it's quite fun. So here's the way it's going to work. I'm going to say the word, and I'm going to give you like a second. And then I want you just to shout out the word that comes to your mind. Um, and so you've all got to participate, all right? So just look at the person beside you right now and just say, you better participate in this, all right? And if they don't, elbow them, all right? This is, you know, we're all involved here tonight. Okay, just give them an elbow if they don't participate. And you might feel shameless. That this could be one of those punk kind of things where I've told everybody else except for you, and no one's going to shout out, and you're going to be the only one. <laughs> Cat, dog, and you're the, the only one. But it's not. I'm not punking you. All right, so here we go. Number one, and I'm going to tell you the percentage of people that shouted out your answer if you got the right one. All right, so here we go. Three, two, one, Rubik's. All right, 89% said cube. Did anyone not say cube? Is he like your grandfather? Rubik, he's my grandfather. All right. All right. Okay, number two, three, two, one. Mona? Lisa, 88%. 
said Lisa, right? Someone said Monica, I think, over here. Okay. Okay, Frank. Ah, uh, see? Baby boomers would have said Sinatra. And Frankie goes to Hollywood or something like that, right? Okay. Right, here we go. Three, two, one. Homeward. Yeah, be bold, all right? Some of these aren't going to be that clear. Not as easy as Rubik. So uh, Homeward Bound, uh, 70, 80% said, um, uh, said Homeward Bound. Kane. Whoa, here we go. We could, this is a generational thing. Kane West. Did anybody say West? Be bold. Is it Kanye? Oh, I, no. This is, this is my point. <laughs> Paolo, please don't laugh. Don't laugh at me. I was making, I was purposely making a point of the, genera of the generational thing. Kanye? No, Abel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> Woo. All right. Talk. Yeah, talk tick. 80% said tick. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kanye, talk. All right. <laughs> okay. Sapien. Homo, <laughs> and 76% said that. <laughs> and uh, now, this, now this will be generational. Okay, so we need everyone involved in this one. Optimus Prime. So I, I heard younger people say Prime, and I heard older people going, I don't know, op optical or something. All right, okay. Now, what word, this is here we are, now we're getting into the meat of it. God. Yeah, so, yeah, all right. Um, and the last one, okay, um, we won't talk about percentages on that one. So, scandal. Half of you said Trump, half of you said Clinton. <laughs> half said Clinton, all right? So, <laughs> so, this topic that we're looking at tonight, the scandal of God, I think is a really cool title. And, um, you know, uh, Josiah was saying he wasn't quite sure what it was going to be about. But um, as we get into it, I hope that, um, that you'll get some clarity, and, and uh, I just want to share some thoughts on it. But uh, those are two words that don't sit comfortably together, do they? God, you know, words we associate with God would, you know, love or the Father or a good, good Father, good God. Um, scandal, you, we would think of, yeah, one of those two guys. Um, and uh, tonight I just want to, um, the message that, that we have uh, and I think it's um, Colin next week who will be picking up the second half of it. And it's a really challenging idea. Um, and it's the scandal of God. And we're talking about um, the first Christmas. And the title of my talk tonight is, Is That Really You, God? There was a famous book written by Lauren Cunningham, the, father, uh, the, the founder of YWAM. Um, and he was trying to discern the voice of God. How can you really understand the voice of God? But I want to just stretch it a little bit further. And how can you just, how can you recognize God at all? How can we recognize the true God? And we're going to look into that first story, the Christmas story, 
Um, and we're going to look at some pretty cool things about it, the first Christmas. Um, you know, we, here we've got the, uh, the kind of the Pope Jesus. We've got the hipster Jesus. I like this, uh, this kind of cool, long-haired California kind of Jesus. You've got the traditional Jesus. Um, but how can we recognize in this world with so many ideas and there's just there's so much media and there's, you know, we, we can literally, we can literally listen to 7 billion people um, at once if we get on the internet. And how do we discover, how do we understand, how do we define the real God? Is that really you, God? Um, and just to, before we get into it, I just want to, uh, I've got a story for you. Um, so I used to work at, uh, at this youth group in Tipuki. I was a youth pastor there for 18 years. And we had this really cool idea, and you can steal this idea. You can do it with your life groups. You can do it with your young adults group. Um, it was called Where's Wally at the Mall? And we got a professional makeup artist in, and that artist um, did up seven of us leaders and, and they, they completely made us over into completely different people. And then we went to Bayfair Mall on the busiest Saturday, kind of early, not too long before Christmas. It was absolutely packed. And we just went shopping, and we lost ourselves amongst the crowd. And we sent in about 70 young people in teams, and they had to try to discover. They had to try to find us. And uh, some of us had been turned into little old ladies, and some of us had been turned into, you know, businessmen. It was, it was hilarious. The funny thing was, uh, and, I, and I was kind of turned into this gangster, not quite like this guy, but I had mirror shades on, they, and they put brown on my face, and I had a great big afro and a leather jacket and leather pants and these great big hobnail boots, and I was just trying to make myself into this gangster guy, pretty much the way I look now. And... Uh, and, uh, and it was hilarious watching groups of young people, and I'd be looking at a book or something in a bookstore, and watching um, groups of young people accosting some poor civilian who wasn't one of us. <laughs> true, true. It was absolutely fabulous. And, um, and one of our girls, this really um, you know, gorgeous young sort of uh, 18-year-old, one of our leaders, and she actually roped her mom in. Um, and she did herself, and, and Teresa was really fit. She's kind of a vegan, health nut kind of girl, yoga star and stuff. And she did herself up like really frumpy and did this, this horrible hair hanging down and, and put some pillows in her pants and made herself really big. And her mom was, and I was kind of close by and I saw this, her mom was in the line and, and Teresa was coming along and, and putting all this junk food on the, on the, on the um, conveyor thing. And her mom was going, you don't need that, you're too fat. And people were just kind of looking aghast at this. It was just hilarious. But anyways, there I was dressed up like this gangster guy, and, um, and I'm trying to hide from the youth, and lo and behold, I look across, and I see one of the sweetest elderly couples from our church, and these people have been like Briar and I. They took Briar and I under our, uh, their wing when we were young fellas, um, and, uh, and they were kind of, our, they were the, the home parents of the home group that we went to, and they were, they were farmers from out in Pangaroa area, and they were beautiful, saintly people, um, and, um, you know, Christians all their lives, and they were lovely, and they were into their 80s now, and they were shopping together, just kind of, you know, holding each other up. And, and so I came wandering over to them and just kind of had my head down and just, oh, you got some money? And, um, and, 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 and they looked me right in the eye, you know, and they know me, and I think they love me, but they looked me in the eye, and, and the wife, the husband sort of shielded the wife from me. 
and, uh, and send her off. He said, well, you go buy that stuff. So I, I think he was trying to protect her from this guy. And, uh, and then he sort of looked me in the eye, and he was kind of polite, but he said, no, 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 got nothing for you. No, 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 got to go. I'm, I'm busy. I'm too busy. And, and he wandered away. And he didn't recognize super youth pastor, Alvy. And, he sh- and if he did, he would have probably given me like a thousand bucks. But uh, he didn't recognize me. And that's what we want to start delving into is, um, and, and it kind of stunned me. Now, I don't judge them. They're beautiful people. But, but, you know, they were accosted by this rough looking guy and they didn't recognize who it was. And uh, I didn't then, but as I'm preparing for this message, I thought back to that moment. And it's got me wondering about the scandal of God and whether we recognize God when he turns up. So um, we'll get into the scriptures and let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you are a living God and that you are here. Lord, you're amongst us all the time. You're speaking all the time. Lord, you've come into this world dramatically. You've come into, the, into history all throughout history. At the original Christmas, which we're about to celebrate in a little while, we celebrate the original one. Uh, Father, you just bombarded history with your presence. And the word tells us that you're going to return in glory one day. Uh, but in between those, those radical times when you turn up in power and when you turn up in, uh, in a powerful way to fulfill some purpose of yours, uh, Father, you still turn up every day in our lives. And we desperately need to recognize who you are. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray that you'll just kind of stretch our thinking and open our hearts a bit uh, today. Amen. Cool. So uh, the scandal, so to define scandal, just to get into it, um, it's an action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong. Uh, It causes general public outrage. Some of the synonyms are outrageous, wrongdoing, outrageous behavior, immoral behavior, uh, unethical, uh, discreditable uh, behavior, shocking incidents, uh, shocking series of events, impropriety. Um, It's the outrage or anger caused by a scandalous action. That's another use of the word. the divorce was cause for scandal on the island. Uh, so it's an action ensuing from, and synonyms are shame, dishonor, disgrace, disrepute, discredit, infamy, ignominy, embarrassment, more rumor, and this is another usage of the word, more rumor or malicious gossip about scandalous events or actions. So synonyms, synonyms like malicious gossip, malicious rumors, slander, libel, scandal mongering, Calumny, uh, defamation, uh, muckracking, muckraking, smear campaigns, um, and you don't know what scandal was spread about me. And the question is, how can the word scandal have anything to do with the word or the name of God? And what I want you to do is one last thing, and then you can just go to sleep. I want you to imagine the first magic Christmas. So just close your eyes for a second. Just humor me. And just get a picture in your mind of that first Christmas. The arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem. Okay, you can open your eyes. I'm sure you've all got your picture. And I want to just break it down into five or six separate bits that come straight from the scripture. So we're just going to jump around in a couple of different scriptures in Luke and Matthew tonight. Uh, So this is the first one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, this is the first Christmas, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, this is the first point, and, and when we think of this story, I don't know what sort of picture you have now if you've heard Craig's preachings over the years. He, he, uh, he's great because he really nails down the historicity and the archaeological reality of all this stuff, but I hope that this surprises some of you as it has surprised me when I heard this kind of stuff for the first time. So we all have a picture from the movies or from the, from the Christmas cards of who Mary was. Uh, and so this is a, a little bit of background. Now, so women... Um, at the turn of the century, or at the turn of the whatever, like when 2,000 years ago, um, there was a huge cultural clash going on, and women had all kinds of different standings in the different cultures that were coming together at the time of Christ. So at, at times in the Egyptian culture, uh, which kind of wove itself into this tapestry, women were highly regarded, but then they fell into a secondary position. Uh, the Greeks, for instance, had a high view of women 700 years before Christ, but when they turned their allegiance to the god Zeus, when Zeus became the, 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 the number one god of their, of their belief system, and because Zeus was a bit of a playboy and a party kind of a god, then the Greeks' view of women, and this is really interesting, this made me think, and I hope it makes you think, the Greeks' view of women dropped after that 700 years BC uh, because Zeus would have multiple women and he would uh, use uh, the female gods for his pleasure. Then the Greeks began following suit. And that made me think, and I want to speak to young people here, you know, we talk about our idols. And in a sense, our idols are kind of like our gods. And, you know, we say, well, it's harmless. You know, I just love this performer and, you know, Kane West or Kanye. Um, you know, I love this and I love that and I love this movie, but it actually affected an entire culture when their view of their God, the, the God that they idolized, um, was a playboy, was a party God. It, it actually changed their lifestyle. And I just want you to think about that. Who are you idolizing and who, who you know, are you chasing after? Who do you highly esteem? Um, uh, the Romans, of course, um, you know, the women had a place in their society, but, but to sum it all up, uh, by the time Christ came along um, to, uh, in Israel, uh, when Christ was born, the overall view of women was, was they were in a, quite a low position. So women had no rights in society. Um, they weren't educated, and all they were good for was childbearing. And the other thing was, um, was that Mary was probably the age at which women um, you know, were ready to be married and, and to have children was 14 years old. So this first Christmas, the idea that the angels and that God would come to a woman, a young woman, um, was just scandalous. It was scandalous in the eyes of their society, especially, and I'm talking here about the Jewish society, the religious society, the leaders, uh, and this was just a scandalous concept. The next one I want to talk about is Joseph. 
Now, there's heaps. Now, he was a carpenter. Again, he was probably um, a little bit older than Mary. Now, you, you know, we can't be sure. He may have been an older guy from, uh, you know, that a wife had passed away. We, we don't really know, but scholars maintain there's probably a high probability that Joseph was around the age of 17 or 18. So he was a young man. He, he kind of at the age at which our young people leave high school. Um, and the other thing was he was a carpenter. There's a, there's a heap of mention of carpenters in the Bible. Uh, over 20 times they talk about carpenters in the building of the temple. Um, they, carpenters would make plowshares. Uh, they used hammers. Uh, and, and they often worked with stone and with wood and with steel. Uh, they made furnitures and they built homes. Uh, they were involved in the building of the temple. But they were the lower class. So carpenters were the lower, lower class. And here we've got Joseph, who's a carpenter, lower class, and he's also a young guy. And to the eyes of the, the religious leaders uh, who had gone through years and years of training, who were scholars in the Torah, the idea that God would choose Joseph was a scandal. That's part of the Christmas story. Now, here's another part of the Christmas story. And... and uh, and just back to Joseph, the fact, I'll just quickly add, the fact that um, he was engaged to be married and his wife, uh, or his, uh, the girl that he was betrothed to, uh, and, and at the time of Christ, when you were engaged, when you were betrothed to a woman, it was as binding as marriage. So it was as binding as marriage, but in that society, there was no way that they could have lived together. There's no way that they could have slept together before the actual wedding feast. And so the fact that Mary was pregnant and told Joseph this was an absolute scandal. And it comes back later in Jesus' ministry in, in John chapter 8, where Jesus is arguing to the Pharisees. Um, and, and, that, and, and the Bible says that Joseph, being a good man, he, he could have said, well, you're pregnant. And she says, well, it was, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and this, you know, how could he have believed that without God revealing it to him? And he had every right to publicly uh, shame her, and she, under the Mosaic law would, have, law, would have been stoned. But he didn't do that. He was going to put her away quietly, and then the Lord came and, uh, and told him, hey, this is of me. This was God turning up in history. And, and that story still got out, and in John chapter 8, the Pharisees, when Jesus is saying to them that their father is the devil, they said to Jesus, well, uh, we know who our father is. And they're, now I'm going to use a, a strong word here. They were literally calling Jesus a bastard, you know, because his, his birth was under a cloud of illegitimacy. That's an absolute scandal. Think about our picture of the first Christmas and here's the real Christmas. And then there's the story of the Magi, and, and they, they all figure in our postcards and in our Christmas stories. They came from the East. Now, there's just all kinds of theories, and there's all kinds of studies of who these guys were. And again, scholars have different opinions um, that they could have been uh, astrologers from the East. They could have been Zoroastrians from Persia. Um, uh, and, and who am I? Uh, but I uh, did some reading for, on Chuck Missler, and uh, I just like what he had to say. Again, it's just a theory, but um, he would uh, tie the, um, the identity of um, these guys, these magi from the east. Now, the word magi uh, in the uh, Persian-Iranian language, uh, that's where we get the word magic from. And he um, says that there is a possibility that it goes back to the time of Daniel, um, who was... Um, 
he was actually an administrator. God put him in the, in the place back at the time of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, where he was an administrator over two kingdoms. Amazing story where, uh, where he was involved with the Babylonian and the Persian kingdoms. Uh, as an administrator, and he still believed in God, and possibly that he should, and he had the prophecy of the coming of Christ, and when you look at the 70 weeks of Daniel in the book of Daniel, it, it works out to the day to when Jesus actually comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, and that Daniel possibly told the story to the religious leaders, and a group of them remembered that story and wrote it down, and there's some hints in history that, um, that that's where they came from, and these guys were coming from the, um, from the Medes, and they had the story. Now, uh, now, um, in our Christmas cards, we always think that there's three because they, they mention three different gifts that the Magi bring. Um, but it, it, there's, in, in, in history, there's no way that they would have been at least 12 to 24 uh, because that's how they would have traveled. And they would have come with a, with a, with a huge guard. Um, and so it was a big group of people that came to acknowledge the king. And the thing is, the fact uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of, of, of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. It's an absolute scandal in the minds of the religious leaders and of the culture of Jesus' day that God would want to include these people from a foreign country, different ethnicity, different color, from a heathen race. It's it's just not the way they would expect God to operate. Another part of the story. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, it's interesting. I remember my, uh, over 30 years ago when I was in Bible college, and in my New Testament class, the professor said, well, there's no, um, you know, there's no wonder that all Jerusalem was, was disturbed when King Herod was disturbed because he was a maniac. He was a murderer, and he killed his own family, and when he got disturbed, you had reason, if you were under his reign, to be disturbed. So this cool little hints written in the scriptures. Um, when he had called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Here's the original story. Um, in Bethlehem in, Gen in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Uh, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Uh, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Remember that word, shepherd. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, uh, Well, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. So I'm just thinking of angry politicians. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. And again, this is another part of the scandal that here was this ruler, um, the ruler that, that, that the Jewish leaders were trying to work. They were trying to ally themselves with the political leaders. It was just a reality uh, at the time of Christ that they had to live with. They didn't like it. They were also trying to please the Romans. They were trying uh, to please Herod as the king who came from the line of Alexander the Great. It's a really great story if you ever want to study it. And the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they were trying to work with the reality of their political situation. And the reason he was furious, and it's hidden in the text, as I've, I've looked into it, when they said that we want to come and worship him who was born king of the Jews. 
That's an absolute affront. It was, a, it was a, a spit in the face of Herod, who was not born king of the Jews. He wanted to be the king, but he was appointed. And so it was, it was like an underhanded slap in his face that we're coming to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. And he was absolutely furious. Another scandal. Another scandal. Now, this was the first Christmas. One more. Or maybe a couple. But when he had heard that Ar Archelaus was, this is now Joseph, when he heard that Archelaus, who was um, a relative of Herod's, was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So now this is Joseph after the birth of Christ. And he's trying to find out where he's meant to live, where he's meant to raise Jesus and live with Mary. And he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth. He was fulfilled, uh, and so was fulfilled uh, what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, it's a scandal to the religious leaders of the day. The province of Galilee was a backwater province. It was just seen as, um, as a mixed province, that, that it, it didn't have the pure blood, the pure Jewish blood. It was a mixture of all kinds of of the Samaritans, and, and Galilee was just seen as a backwater province, kind of like Taranaki. Uh, no, no. No, no, no. I don't know why I said that. I just tried to wake you guys up for a second. There. Getting sick of the sound of my own voice. Um, so that's another scandal, and I just want to, this is the second last one. Uh, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Now, this is all relating to that, uh, that early uh, appearance of Jesus when, when Philip found Nathaniel and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the, the one whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nazareth. This is Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel said, and Philip said, come and see. Now this is what's written about the town of Nazareth. Um, it's kind of like Arataki, I think. It was, um, nobody here from Arataki? Because that's the photo. No, okay. Um, but it was so miserable. Now, this is what some writers have said about Nazareth. It was so miserable a place that you, that you could happily think, that you could hardly think that any good thing would ever come from there. Now, these are ancient writers talking about the town. Um, it, and then it was proven, now this was the early Christians saying, the fact that Nazareth was such a backwater, such a town from which nothing good could come was proven by their rejection of the rabbi Jesus, uh, the, rejecting, the rejection of his preaching, and the murderous designs that they had upon him. Because if you could remember when Jesus went back to his hometown, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to get him to the edge of the cliff and throw him off. Um, it was wicked, prejudiced, objectionable, mean, and obscure. And it was a scandal. The last one. And this is my favorite one. These have always been my favorite guys. And there were shepherds living out in the field. Now, we've all got our picture of those shepherds, right? And it's this cool Christmas picture. In fact, um, some of my favorite memories growing up in this cool Italian family, and my dad used to make, he would take up the whole end of our living room, and he, and he built this kind of understructure thing, and he had this, this green carpet, and he had all these little houses, and we had these beautiful European figurines of shepherds and kings, and he built a little stable, and he put a little, little light, over, and he put lights in all the little houses, and just as kids, it just used to blow us away. It was the coolest part of Christmas, 
And, uh, and, and the shepherds were the coolest figurines to me. And the, some were carrying the sheep, and some had a little, like a lamb down by the feet. And I can still remember to this day the feel and the smell of this whole deal. We used to all fall asleep, myself and my other three siblings, kind of as, you know, um, eight, nine o'clock after we had our coffee that mom used to feed us. And, uh, and we'd sit there, and, and the lights would be twinkling, and I'd go to sleep by this, the presepio, we used to call it in Italiano. And... Um, and I loved it, and I loved the shepherds the best. Um, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of Beth of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly a great company. What a cool story of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, holy, holy, holy. Now the thing about shepherds is this, and some of you know this, but the shepherds were the bottom rung of the Palestinian society. Um, they were on the same level, historians tell us, as tax collectors and dung sweepers. The shepherds were the bottom of the barrel. They were the same as dung sweepers. Uh, they're only mentioned by Luke, which is interesting, so the other Gospels don't mention shepherds, just Luke, who's a historian and was trying to be historically accurate. Um, back in the days of Abraham, they were highly respected, but... Um, through the mixture with the Egyptians, the Egyptians looked down at shepherds because shepherds, because sheep were the cause of the destruction of crops, and the crops were the heart and soul and the survival of Egypt. And so sheep were seen probably the same way Kiwis see possums or rats. And so shepherds became the vilest, the lowest in the society, and that ended up influencing um, uh, the Jews uh, as the centuries went by. The interesting in the Bible, the first murder was, a, was a, a shepherd killing a farmer, Cain killing Abel. Um, it prejudiced the, Isra the Israelites' attitude against shepherds. Zechariah 2.6 says that shepherds uh, symbolized social uh, desolation. And uh, famous rabbi Jeremiah um, said that how could God ever be associated with with shepherds, and he was talking about the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And he questioned how could God ever associate himself with shepherds because they were the lowest of the low. So again, and this is the final one, here's the original Christmas story. And our title tonight is, you know, how, you know uh, is that really you, God? And we're talking about the scandal of God. And here's um, God who has promised from 7,000 years ago back in the Garden of Eden after the fall, that he would one day come and that he would save his people and he would bring salvation. And God has promised his people throughout the entire Old Testament, the Torah, that he would come and that he would come uh, uh, as, a, as a king and he would visit his people and he would bring salvation and he would free them from slavery. He would free them uh, from all their, their trials and their, uh, you know, their evil. And when he actually comes... He comes in this scandalous way. He came to a young woman. She was engaged to a tradie. 
There was gossip of impropriety attached to the coming of God. He associated with people. He was connected with people from the wrong background, from the wrong ethnicity, the wrong color, the wrong religion. He was connected with the wrong side of the political spectrum. He came to the wrong province. He came to the wrong town. And last but not least, he associated with disreputable groups from the wrong social class like the shepherds. Now we today in Bethlehem, in Teranga, at BBC, we would never do that, would we? We would never do that. We would never be guilty of being so blinded by our own prejudices, by our own self-righteousness, by our own lists of what's right and what's wrong, by our own preferences, by the things that make us comfortable. We would never be blinded by our own expectations upon others that we would miss the real God. We would never do that, would we? We would never look down at someone who maybe God has his hand upon. We would never look down at young people when they don't live up to our expectations. We would never look down at another denomination when they act differently from the way we would expect them to act, would we? We don't do that. We're a cut above, aren't we, of of the Pharisees and the leaders at the time that Jesus came. So tonight I want to leave a challenge with us as we come up to this 2000 and something celebration of Christmas. Are we overlooking anyone? Is there someone right under our feet? Is there somebody who God has put in our lives that we are overlooking, that God could be present in that person, but that person doesn't fit our picture of what God of who God would choose? Are we overlooking someone? Is there someone that we're dismissing? Is there some movement that we think we're judging? We think that can't be God as we come up to this Christmas. But here's another question which is equally challenging. Are you overlooking yourself? How do you rate yourself? Because it seems to me from this story of the first Christmas that God went out of his way to choose the lowest, to choose the ones who were not capable, to choose the ones who didn't have a hope, who didn't have a chance, to choose the underdogs. It looks to me like God went out of his way when he was preparing the greatest visitation Upon this planet of the presence of God, he went out of his way to find the least, the lonely, and the lost. And finally, you know, how do we recognize the real Jesus? And we could be glib and we can be confident and say we will not make the same mistakes. We've got our Bibles and we've learned from the error of those in the past, and we won't make the same mistake, but I want to challenge you that it's very, very easy 
to make that same mistake. If the Pharisees did it, they were just humans. They had the Bible memorized. They were so devout. They'd made up over 600 laws, extra laws to try to serve this God. They, they, were, they were trying to serve God with all their hearts. And I would just suggest that it's very easy to make that same mistake. How do we recognize the real Jesus? And just to finish, I want to, um, before I read one, a couple more of his, let me just read this story. Many of you, you've probably all heard it, but let's just listen to it anyway. Um, and it's just a story that kind of helps clarify how we can not miss the real God. Is that really you, God? Stories about an old fisherman who dreamed one Christmas Eve that Jesus would come to visit him the next day. The dream was so real that he was convinced that it was going to come true. So the next morning he got up and he went out and he cut green boughs and he decorated his little hut by the sea and he, he tidied it up in preparation for Jesus to come and visit. And he was so sure that Jesus was going to come that he just sat down mending his nets and waited for him. The hours passed and Jesus didn't come. But an old man came around lunchtime. A raw wind was blowing in off the sea and rain was in the air. He came inside for a moment to get warm out of the winter cold, and as the fisherman talked with him, he noticed the holes in the old man's shoes. So he reached up on the shelf, and he got him a second-hand pair of boots. It was his last spare pair, but he just couldn't let the old man out into the wild weather without them. He made sure that they fit and that the socks were dry, and he sent him on his way. And still he waited, but Jesus didn't come. And an old woman came by in the afternoon, a woman who hadn't had a decent meal in two days, and they sat and visited for a while, and then he prepared some food for her to eat. He didn't have much left in his pantry. He was saving his last loaf of bread, half a glass of wine, and a small block of cheese, and a little bit of sliced ham for Jesus. But he gave her the nourishing meal instead, and she went on her way. And then he sat down again to wait for Jesus. But Jesus still didn't come. And then he heard a, a little boy crying out in front of his hut. And he went out and he talked with the boy and he discovered that the boy had been separated from his parents and didn't know how to get home. He didn't want to leave his hut. He didn't want to miss Jesus. But he put on his coat anyway and he took the boy out by the hand and he led him home. And when he came back to his little his little fisherman's hut. It was almost dark, and the cold sleet was falling from the dark clouds, and the streets of the little fishing village were emptied of people. And then in a moment of despair, he lifted his voice to heaven, and he said, Oh, Lord Jesus, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come as you promised? And in that moment of silence, he heard a voice saying, Oh, fisherman, lift up your heart. Open your eyes. I kept my word. Three times I knocked at your friendly door. I was with the man with the bruised feet. I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman that you gave to eat, food to eat. And I was the boy on that homeless street. Jesus had come. The old fisherman just didn't recognize him. And I want to finish with these verses.
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? This is that, this is that beautiful, frightful passage at the end of Matthew 25. And the king will, will reply and say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And this final verse, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. How can we recognize, how can we recognize the true God? And, and again, back to those questions. Who are we overlooking? And often, you know, we pander to the strong, you know, the sweet, the smart, and we ignore the least, the last, and the lost. Who are we overlooking? But secondly, and this is such an encouraging message for me, could God be calling you? And often we look to someone else. We look to Craig or to Ross or to John or to Colin. And we say, yeah, those are the guys who God wants to use, but he never, he would never use me. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm not talented enough. But according to this scandalous God, it's not the way he operates. So who are you overlooking? But also, are you overlooking yourself? You might think tonight that you are the least, the last, and the lost. You're too weak. There's too much sin in your life. You are just not gifted enough. And I would challenge you that you're exactly the person God wants. How do we recognize the real God? I would say most of the time, the real God is probably upside down, the exact opposite of what this world is looking for. That's the real God.